Hello and welcome. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. This week on the show, we had journalist and writer Dolly Alderton chatting to us about her novel Ghosts. Comedian Nina Conti will be telling us about her new UK tour, The Dating Show. Actress, comedian, writer Izzy Sooty fills us in on her debut novel, Jane is Trying. And president, president of the Disney theatrical group, Thomas Schumacher, gives us the Disney brief on musicals like Frozen, returning to the theatre. But before all that, here's Maria. Uh, so how are you coping with tropical thunder? <laughs> really is. It's biblical. That's the word I would use. Um, especially over the sea this morning before I came in, it was crazy. I always think, you know, oh, I'll take a picture of that lightning. But of course, it never comes out or you just miss it by a second and it's just grey. Yes. Um, so lightning. I feel I feel maybe you've posted enough pictures of the sea now. That's, that, <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Well, it's always there. It's right outside my window. Yes, we know. We are very aware of that. Those, those of us that follow you on Instagram are very aware. Different times of day, Graham. Sunrise, no, no, sunset. No, no. And always beautiful and always appreciated. But Just, many. Yeah, maybe just take a little break. Oh. <laughs> All right, that's me told. How's your week been, she said. Uh, it's, been, it's been sunny and lovely. Thank you very much. Yeah. Ooh, that's yeah. excellent. Uh, yeah, uh, and I've been quite good. I'm not burned to a crisp. I haven't kind of, I haven't swaddled myself in butter and lain out in it. So uh, yes, I'm finally, finally in my old age, becoming a little more sensible. Yeah, when well, it's too late. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the frizzling, frazzling has been done. Yes, the poor crackling effect. Has I happened. did see a photograph of you coming out of a lovely restaurant, um, and you actually called yourself Ernest Hemingway because beard and hair now into the Ernest Hemingway mode and possibly your writing skills as well. Well, I think my sentences are always a little longer than Ernest's. <laughs> what did he know? I, I use some big words. I I love syllables, me. Um, yes, no, we, we're out and about, uh, you know, met outside because I'm in Ireland and you can't eat inside yet. So uh, sitting outside and it was lovely. I mean, because it was sunny. I mean, that know. is the lovely thing about this recent spell of nice weather. I've had sort of, you know, lovely little barbecues on the beach and so on. And now we've all got to go inside. And I do feel slightly for, must give a shout out to Queer on the Pier in Hastings uh, later on. Lots of people from Drag Race UK, RuPaul's Drag Race UK. And I hope for them that the rain stays away. I think those wigs will survive any weather. Uh, <laughs> They're so filled with <laughs> so filled with hairspray. They would survive a lightning strike. Those I, wigs. I always do marvel actually at the drag queens and how amazingly quickly they do all their slap. You know, it's the wig on, it's the eyelashes. I've watched from start to finish and I think, you know, I've never learned how to do this. And, you know, this is, I'm meant to be a woman that does this. Whereas if you're doing it, you know, for an act or so, I suppose that's why you get quick at it. And getting it off as well. Whip it off at the speed of light. Oh, it's the getting it off. I mean, that's Yes, of just... course you did it. Tell us, do, Graham. Remind the Virgin listeners about your time. Well, no, but you know what it's like. You know, when you, at the, at the end of the night, when you get, you've you got all this kind of stuff, you know, just on your face and you don't get it all off and then you wake up and your bed looks like the Turin Shroud and it's... Because <laughs> you were in La Cage Fall, I'm going to say it, because you haven't. And you made a very respectable woman, shall we say... 
Uh, well, depressing, I would say. <laughs> Why? Well, because, you know, you can't... Well, you as a man, anyway. as, a man mm. as a man, you think, OK, this is... I wake up and this is how I'm going to look all day, every day. Aren't women lucky? They get to put makeup on and look much better than the person they looked as when they woke up. Ah, uh, yes, but and at so some I point thought, you've got to take it off, Graham, yeah, so and I show thought, the reality. But then I thought, so, oh, oh, okay, this is how I look as a man. Imagine how beautiful I'll be when I put some makeup on to improve what God has given me. And, uh, yeah, makeup did not do that. <laughs> makeup just made me look about... 30 years older than I am. <laughs> well, you see, that's the problem. It can do that. But I find, you know, the taking it off when I've been in doing shows in London, um, you don't take it off. You just go straight out, go party because, you know, you've done your show, you've done your showing off for the day. Go party, go home, drunk. Um, following morning, just top it up. Well, also, it's that embarrassing thing as you forget about it. And then I've, I've done this where the next day... When somebody to, comes to the door. No, gone to the gym. Oh, no! <laughs> and then I've been working out and then you wipe your face on a towel and it's just like, oh. <laughs> Looks like a baby had an accident. <laughs> Why has Tootsie come to the gym this morning? <laughs> it's Dustin Hoffman as I live and breathe. Uh, Marie McGurlin, do you yes. have some uh, letters close I at hand? I have two and one is very long. Virgin Radio. I do feel we've uh, let light in on maybe our, our lack of empathy in that our only comment on people's problems is they're very long. <laughs> Are they still having a problem? Their problem's going on a bit, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm not feeling quite so bad about reading out a long letter because I'm having some Waitrose. Strawberries and West Country clotted cream ice cream for breakfast, Graham. I am an anarchist. And no, because no I, saw, I saw the flavours available to you and I thought you'd have gone with the, one of the chocolate ones. The cho- I, If I was there, I would have the chocolate with the blood orange sorbet. Yeah, no, I fancied something a little lighter this morning. A summer, for breakfast. For a, summer. Breakfast, a breakfast ice cream. Strawberries and cream for summer. <laughs> um, mm, I will just do this. Mm. Do you hear that? I so- did. Sounds of me putting my ice cream down. Oh, I thought and it was then- your elbow breaking. <laughs> That osteoporosis just won't quit. I'm going to read you the first letter now. Oh, please. Dear Graham and Maria, during lockdown, the work I'd been doing stopped. Luckily, I was able to find something part-time in the next county, 60-mile drive away in Lanarkshire. Lancashire, sorry, two very different places. Lancashire. In the early stages of lockdown, I noticed someone who caught my eye on a dating app. Whilst I did message, nothing progressed and I didn't follow up as I wasn't in a particularly good place anyway. You might imagine my surprise when I opened the door of my office in the early weeks of my new job to see the object of my desire sitting outside, waiting for an appointment with me. With professional boundaries in place, practitioner and patient exchanges flowed well. He stayed a client for a long period and the exchanges were always easy. And given the relaxed conversations we had, it seemed like he was comfortable with me. I do confess I looked forward to seeing him more than anyone else on my list. Poor them. I've now finished that job and he's moved to another city for work. I'd like to explore the possibility of a relationship to see if it might have legs or not. But I'm worried that I'd be making a complete fool of myself as he's at least half my age. And perhaps I've totally misread the situation. What might be a good way of approaching him to see if he's willing to test the water without causing offence and losing a potential friend or acquaintance? And that is from Billy in West Yorkshire. 
Billy in West Yorkshire. Please sit down. I'm about to give you a reality sh uh, check. Number one, no reply to your initial message. Mm -hmm. That kind of tells you he's not interested. Number two, practitioner, patient. There is a boundary here that you must not cross. I don't really know what you're doing, but you've said practitioner, patient. So you cannot do that. He seemed comfortable with me because he was coming to you in a professional capacity, not as someone from Tinder. Half your age. Another clue. Uh, there was no situation, Billy, um, in West Yorkshire to misread. I'm afraid I have to tell you. So I'm going to say just... Let this one go and search in the sea for another little fishy. Graham? Yes, I I mean, I have to agree. You know, he's he's asking uh, what might be a good way of approaching him. You have approached him and you got nothing in return. You sent him a message and nada. So uh, that's all you need to know. This man sat in an office with you. He didn't even... He didn't even, I mean, clearly he didn't wasn't thinking that. didn't even remember you from your he, message. Yes he, yes, he didn't remember the message, he, you know, because there would have been some embarrassment or a slight awkwardness probably if he twigged, oh, God, this is that guy that messaged me. Uh, so obviously he just kind of blanked you entirely. So I think what you've done, Billy, and we've all done this, is we've created something in our head that is only in your head. It's This guy will be flabbergasted to find out that you've done all this, that you've kind of, you know, you've put a big mind map up that doesn't exist in anyone else's mind. But also you mind. mustn't do anything about it, Billy, in West Yorkshire, because he was your patient. But isn't there some sort of yes, statute of limitations on this? When, no, when you stop being a patient, don't you go, woohoo, let's go? Well, it doesn't sound like it's been very long since he was a patient. And... You know, all the clues are there. I, I, you really don't need any other clues other, other than he has a big sign on his head, Billy, saying, I am not interested in you. There are sites that you can go on, especially when you're twice someone's age. I think they're called Daddy Dinkums or something like that. I don't know. That's right. Daddy That's Dinkums. Right. Daddy Dinkums. Com. Yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> you might know better, Graham. Um, <laughs> well, no, I have no idea. But you should really, you should really uh, sign up that website. It could be yours now, Maria. <laughs> well, that's what I call mine when I'm calling. Anyway, um, no, Billy... Maybe it, he's a dentist. Do you think Billy's a dentist? It doesn't matter. I just, you know... I feel like that's less bad. Important. I feel like if a dentist, if, if uh, after you'd finished seeing them, if they asked you out, you wouldn't feel so weird. Yeah. Whereas a doctor, I think you'd feel weird. But, and I think as a, a, a therapist, you'd feel weird. Yeah, yeah. But all the other things, Graham, no reply to the first message. He's half your age. There was no situation. He seemed comfortable with you. If he were, if it was a dentist, he had his mouth open and you had your hands in there tinkering about with scalpels and things. So, you know, how uncomfortable... And he was heavily could, sedated. He was heavily <laughs> sedated. That was the time to ask him on a date. I can't help feeling if you are a dentist, you missed a trick. Uh, no, that's very wrong to... Very wrong, very wrong. It's illegal, <laughs> it's illegal, it's bad. But funny. Um, no, sorry, Billy, look elsewhere. Yeah, I think, Billy, you, you know, I see what's happened here. And of course it's happened because, you know, 
you were lonely and because of the I think because of the website it, it opened up the possibility of romance with this guy and because otherwise I don't think you'd have done this it wouldn't have happened He's, he would have just been another patient but that's but Marie's absolutely right you must look elsewhere my favourite responses today will be receiving in celebration of a certain sporting event in Tokyo uh, they will be receiving a bottle of Soawa Anotsuru yeah you heard me Deluxe Sake courtesy of Waitrose Soawa Anotsuru there you go. It's Luxacky, and you can be enjoyed either warm or chilled. Mm, posh. Okay, who's getting it? What did you think? Uh, Rob and Dave the Dog. Now, Dave the Dog Middlewich has given some excellent advice over the months. Let's find out. Uh, tell Billy to get over it and find someone his own age. Mm, that Dave the Dog, he's... I mean, you know, he speaks from the heart. He does. But, uh, yeah, harsh but true. Abby in Cam- Cambridgeshire. Billy, I think you need to stay professional. No relationships on the cards. Move on. Oh dear. Poor old Billy. I'm with you, poor old Billy. This is Paul in Peckham. Bit of a midlife crisis, I think. He better whip out that fishing rod and start fishing in that big pond for a fresh catch. Yes. For some older, <laughs> less appetizing fish. <laughs> uh, the, that, that will be attracted to not very nice bait. That, yeah, that's 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 aging. There you go. Uh, Maria has it spot on. There was no response initially, and although fate gave it a second chance, there was still no reaction. So Billy needs to let it go and move on. Mandy and Haven, you're so right, Mandy and Haven. That is the thing. Fate gave him a second chance, and I think that's why he's built it into a thing in his head, because what are the chances that this guy would end up in your office? But that's what it was, chance. Um, oh, Mark in Portsmouth. This is a bit harsh, I think. Billy, there's no fool like an old fool. Leave it alone. We don't know how old Billy is. We know the guy's younger, but we don't know. Billy might be old. Oh, now, a fellow Billy in Dundee. This guy... Oh, oh, now, wait. Well, now, this is an unusual take. We weren't expecting this. This guy is a player, and Billy is being played. Look at other angles for a potential date. If you try and get involved with this guy, you'll come across as creepy. There are lots of other people out there. Find a hobby or club to go to and you may enjoy the experience and meet like-minded people. Okay, Billy and Dundee. Uh, that's full. In fact, I'm not sure he's being played. I'll tell you what, I'm going to give uh, the sake the... I'll try it one more time. Sa'awa Natsuru. Uh, Deluxe Sake, courtesy of Waitrose, is going to um, Rob and Dave the Dog in Middleswitch. There you go. Graham's Guide. This is a little novella, Graham, so, you know, sit back. Okay. Dear Graham and Maria, my daughter Alice is 18 and has just finished her A-levels. We feel awful that she's not had the same rites of passage moments in her life that we did due to COVID, so we wanted to do something special. She was invited to go on holiday to the Balearics as a guest of one of her friends staying at the friend's parents' villa. Alice explained that her friend Cosima told her that she just needed to buy the flights out there and then take a bit of spending money. That all sounded fine, so we bought her tickets and off she went. A few days in... Alice called us in a panic and explained that she needs 500 euros to pay for the hotel because when they got there, she found out that she wasn't actually staying at Cosima's parents' villa, but a hired hotel. Cosima has lied because she wanted Alice to come out and join her and that another of their friends was also staying at the hotel. The other friend is the daughter of a high-profile CEO and it was Alice's second time meeting her so she doesn't want to make a bad impression by confronting Cosima and feels very embarrassed as both of her friends' parents are leagues as above us 
financially. Mm. Alice is mortified that she was told by the hotel staff she had to pay and is upset with Cosima, who then said, I'm sorry, etc., but you just have to pay it. <laughs> As parents, we're very cross, but not at Alice, and obviously we're sending her the money and supporting her. We know she was just trying to be an adventurous teen and not trying to play us. Do we tell Cosima's parents about the deception, which has now left us €500 Euros out of pocket, or do we strike it up to experience, forget about it, and let Alice learn the life lesson about friendship? And that is from Allegra in London. Allegra in London, you know, things come down from the parents to the children. Um, there's not much, inf there wasn't very much information about this going to stay uh, in my parents' villa, etc. Cosima, they're all above you financially, etc. I don't like that very much. It's smacks, it smacks of snobbishness. Um, and they're leagues above us financially. You know, look, it wouldn't have killed you, Allegra, in London, to just put in a call to Cosima's mum to say, look, you know, it's really kind of you to have her and I want to send a gift over for you with her and I was just wondering, you know, what the decor is, if you want to send a vase or, or would you like some, you know, comestible goods that she can bring into the country. It wouldn't have killed you to do that and then you wouldn't have been in this situation. Alice has basically learnt from you, which is just to go along with things and, you know, put things in place. 500 euros, you're now out of pocket. And I would say, no, don't tell Cosima's parents about the deception because this was avoidable. This whole situation was avoidable. And I think you do have to mark it up to experience. I'm so sorry for Alice and that she hasn't had a, as nice a time because she's had to come cap in hand to you looking for 500 euros. But that's life. That's the way things pan out sometimes. And yes, you've all learned a live lesson. It's not just Alice's lesson to learn, Allegra. It's yours too. Mm. You're being too nice, I think. Oh, I love it when you get nasty. Go on, what are you going to say? Well, things don't add up here. Oh, I what? don't think. What, 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 what? I think Alice <laughs> has played her parents like uh, Stradivarius. Oh, do you? You're yeah. so untrusting, Graham. I love well, it. £500, £500 seems a very odd round number for however long they're going for. I don't know how long they're there for. Um, you know, and in the Balearics, and if the daughter of a high-profile CEO is staying there as well, I mean, £500 doesn't seem very much for this hotel experience. Mm -hmm. um, it just sounds like Alice wants €500 Euros to me. Um <laughs> <laughs> to buy something illegal. Yes. Well, certainly I would say, I would oh say, don't, I mean, it's too late now because they've sent the money to Alice. They shouldn't have sent the money to Alice. They should have said, oh, well, we'll get onto the hotel and we'll pay the hotel. Um, because I'd, I wonder if there is a hotel at all. I think, I just think um, she's rinsing her parents. I mean, I know that's bad of me to think the worst, but, you know, she's 18 and, like, think about it. 500 euros isn't very much, really, in For the great scheme of things. Well, you don't know where they're staying. But, but, really... no, the, but, the, but the daughter of a high-profile CEO has been put in there and, you know, and Cosima's parents have arranged this or somebody's booked this hotel. You know, who booked the hotel? Why didn't Alice know she was going to be in a hotel if, if it was booked? It just... It, it, I think Alice just gone, I want to go on holiday. My parents will never agree to pay for a hotel and flights and spending money. Um, so I'll just tell them this. 
That's or, quite, that is quite or good she, Or she's staying in a villa and she just thinks, oh, actually, I fancy a bit more money. What should we do? Oh, tell them uh, you have to stay in a hotel. You know, yeah. who knows? I just, I would ask more questions. The thing you can't do is treat her like a child now and call up Cosma's parents to complain. She's not 11 and this is a play date gone wrong. These are 18-year-olds who are messing around with real money in the real world and, uh, you know, you must never let this happen again. I'm really glad you're not my dad, Graham. (laughs) (laughs) As many people across the nation will be saying as of now. But what about if um, she calls her at the hotel? Why? What about Allegra calling her daughter at the hotel to talk to her? Then she'll find out where she's staying if she's not in the hotel. Yes, I would certainly investigate this hotel in inverted commas to see if it exists and maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm totally wrong but it, it, it just as a whiff of an 18 year old's get rich quick scheme I love this I really love this and I sort of now really want to know the truth about it so Allegra yes. in London please yes. can you let us know how it happens uh, but yes. really, and Allegra, if I'm wrong if I'm mom. wrong if I'm wrong Allegra I apologise unreservedly to Alice and you <laughs> but I have a funny feeling I have a funny feeling you gotta have the courage of your convictions, Graham, there. <laughs> I, just, I just feel a chat, pre, a previous chat would have been helpful, Allegra, to Cosima's mum, and now a chat to the hotel. Um, maybe they have paid the hotel directly. We don't know, but we need to know, Allegra. Please tell us more. Yeah. But don't you can't complain to the parents because these are adults now. You can't be complaining to parents about things going wrong. And my favourite response, we'll be receiving a bottle of Sowa Notsuru. I've been practising. This is Japanese way. If you speak Japanese, I do apologise. I am attempting to say a Japanese word. Uh, deluxe sake, courtesy of Waitrose. Uh, okay, that'll be winging its way to you if I like your response. Darren in West Sussex. The hotel would not let someone check in unless the payment was secured. That's right, Darren. Mm, Allegra? Uh, I mean, you do. You have to put a credit card down for incidentals. Yeah, whatever happens. It will be interesting to see if she has photos of the hotel to show mom when she gets back home. Smells a bit fishy to me. I'm with you, Darren. Mandy and Haven't. Allegra should have most definitely had a conversation with the mother prior to the holiday. But yes, she should tell her now. Why? These rattled. Uh, this way, it will come to light if someone has tried to pull a fast one. Uh, whether that will be Alice or the friend. Well, you're right, Mandy. It will, you know, smoke it out. The truth will out. Um, I heard a very good expression yesterday, a very good phrase yesterday. Lies of short legs. Isn't that a good expression? Anyway, uh, in this case, I think... <laughs> I think the lies are about to be caught up. Uh, Sophie in Hinton in the Hedges. Yes, there's someone called Hinton in the Hedges and we have a listener there. Sophie. Uh, So long as the parents have checked that the 18-year-old is safe and happy, we don't think they should check up at the the hotel or contact the parents. Simply, she has £500 to repay when she gets home. Now we're at the crux of this. It's the €500 is the thing. There's the lesson on the value of money, planning and freedom. Well said, Sophie. Uh, Paul in Ulverston. My son went to Cavos when he was 17, rang me midweek asking for 500 euros to pay for damage to a hired moped. I said, good luck, big man, and put the phone down on him. (laughs) You can't trust him. Paul, you are harsh. And Billy and Dundee. Double, double advice from Billy and Dundee. 
Alice has been duped by a friend. Just pay the money and forget about it. Karma has a way of getting people back and usually does. Enjoy the holiday and your friendship while it lasts. At least you can look back over the years with a fond heart. Trying to keep up with the Joneses is never a good idea. That is true. The uh, bottle of sake I'm going to send to uh, Sophie in Hinton in the Hedges. Mmm, sake. Hinton in the Hedges. What's not to like? The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Time to meet my first guest of the day, an award-winning <coughs> author and journalist, columnist for the Sunday Times Style, also written for GQ, read Marie-Claire Grazia, had a best-selling book, memoir, Everything I Know About Love, and now is a novelist with ghosts. Dolly Alderton joins us. Hello, Dolly. Hello, Graham. Now, I, I've never... I, I'll ask you. Uh, so your parents, when they... Christened you, Dolly? Do they christen you, Dolly? No, so this is my biggest secret, Graham. Oh. It's not my real name. <gasps> you I, chose it. I chose it. Well, it was a kind of nickname given to me that I then decided was just more interesting and memorable than my real name. Oh, okay. I just wondered because I was going to say hello, Dolly, and then I thought, oh no, I can't say hello, Dolly, because that's ridiculous. But, <laughs> uh, but presumably, <laughs> but that, you know, and then I just thought, did the parents consider that? But the parents are now going, you see, we told you your real name was better. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, hi, Dolly. Hi, Dolly. Hello. Uh, now, uh, you are on our minds. It's as if you were on the show last week because uh, your high low partner in crime, Pandora Sykes, was on talking about her book. I tuned in. She's very good at talking, isn't she? I mean, so clever. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those things you I felt like I was sort of nodding like a dog while she was talking. I, like, well, that's like, literally <laughs> what the high-low was like every week. She would just sort of speak at me in these amazing truisms about the world. And then she would say, what do you think? And I'd say, oh, yeah, sounds a bit good or a bit bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and sort of has and just read so much. Mm. You know, just, yeah, incredible. Now, uh, here's the thing. You had an incredibly successful memoir. Was the idea of moving into fiction, was that always the plan? Or were your publishers going, are you sure you don't want to do another memoir? <laughs> no, it was always the plan. I mean, when you write a memoir, age 28, you probably have used up every single one of your good <laughs> stories. Um, so... Yeah, and also writing memoir was quite stressful and it was quite, you know, it's quite an emotionally laborious thing. And I just loved the idea of going straight into a pretend world with pretend people. And it was technically much harder than writing a memoir, but emotionally it was much more relaxing. And ghosts, I mean, you pack an awful lot into ghosts in the, you know, the... the Essentially, uh, the story is is about Nina Dean, who's just going to her thirties and she's single. And, but but it, you go into lots of different areas. You go, you know, friendship and aging and families and all those sorts of dramas. Was that always the plan, or was that something that happened organically as you were writing about the the woman Nina? I uh, didn't realise how controlling I would be about writing fiction. I thought that I would just sit down and let ideas come to me and. The ink would flow beyond my control, but I actually was um, just like I am in real life, completely neurotic and controlling. And I did like a very, very detailed three month plan of all the various plots and it was colour coded and I spent a lot of money on post-its. So, um, yeah, it was it was meticulously planned. Do you do the same with your fiction? Uh, no, I no post-its. I mean, I have been more planned in the past. This time uh, I'm, I'm I'm sort of a third of the way through, but and it's 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 more free form and I'm hating it. Yeah. I 
I hate not knowing. Me too. Uh, it's quite. It's too. It's too frightening. I won't be doing this again. Um, <laughs> So uh, tell us what you can about, without spoiling any of the plot, tell us who Nina is, the situation she finds herself at the beginning of the book. So Nina Dean is 32 years old. We find her uh, at the beginning of her of the year. She's just turned 32 and she has been in a relationship for most of her 20s. She's never really been single and she decides to join dating apps for the first time and then what follows is... Uh, the first year of her life on dating apps and uh, she meets someone amazing uh, really early on uh, first date which I must say might have been a little bit of poetic license that normally doesn't happen (laughs) doesn't happen (laughs) although I did hear someone say once that I think is true if you're on dating apps you either go on one date or you go on 3000 and there's not there's nothing in between um but yeah, so she goes on this date, meets this man, uh, falls in love very hard and fast, and it turns out he's not everything that she thought he was. Dun dun dun! <laughs> and I mean, and you know what you described there sounds like it could be just a kind of straightforward uh, rom com in a way. Mm. Uh, but as I say, you you build in these other things. You build in her family and the the, the things that are going on with her father and her mother, which I, I think give the book real kind of depth and appeal outside of someone you know what I mean because you kind of think oh well if you're not 30 and single will you like this book but actually it's all in there yeah it's it's about everything that this woman knew to be true uh kind of being turned on its head all within this one year so all her her close friendships seem to be changing um because of various circumstances her father is kind of vanishing in slow motion into dementia so um yeah it's it's a book about the nature of love really um and some of that's about dating but some of that's about family and friends too and then that fascinating subplot with the the, the, the neighbor is it angelo the neighbor yes <laughs> That's been very hit and miss, Graham, the neighbour. I still feel very attached to that plot. (laughs) No, I liked it. I liked it. And we should say it's been a huge success. I mean, it was a big Sunday Times bestseller and you must be thrilled. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was strange um, publishing a book in a pandemic because I just, it kind of, it all happened in this abstract way and I wasn't really meeting readers and I wasn't going to bookshops. Um, But no, I'm really, really happy with how it's gone. I think something that, that helped is that uh, it was a book all about dating and touching and snogging, which is obviously all that anyone was thinking about for the last year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Gemma in Liverpool has a question. It's a big question, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, that your, your takes on romance are so brilliant. What Now, this is a sweet question. What is it about love that fascinates you the most? Oh, that's a lovely question. Um, I think I think that we are we're kind of built by the people who love us and our relationships are what form us and our friendships are what form us and our our kind of chatter and our banter with our friendships is in our friendships is what form our sense of humor and the way our parents love us i believe is is often how we end up loving others so all this stuff is the stuff that i just think you know builds a human so so that's the stuff i'm most interested in when i meet people i'm always most interested in their family relationships and their friendships and the people that they've loved it's the thing i find fascinating and in your life, Dolly, I mean, you've been very successful, but th- that success has meant 
working very hard and wearing lots of hats, you know, to, to make a living. There's the columnist, there's the writing memoir, there's now writing a novel, there's the podcasting. Do you want to get, do you like that or do you want to get to a, a point in your life when you just go, I am Dolly Alderton, a novelist, or I am Dolly Alderton, a whatever. Do you, do you want to settle in a groove? Um, just as a side note, it shows how half asleep I am that when you said that, I thought, I wonder, what jobs have I done where I wore hats? <laughs> It's like I must have written some piece for Grazia or something while I was wearing a lot of hats that Graham that Graham must have read. Um, no, I actually, I don't mind. Um, I, I love, it's a great privilege doing lots of different things. Um, and I Can love... I just say, I now feel really old. I feel like, oh, I guess that expression isn't, 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 isn't in currency anymore. I've out, it's outgrown, it's outgrown common usage. Okay, thanks, Dolly. Thanks for the heads up there. The, uh, yeah. Hey, Granddad, nobody says that. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Dolly, you were sick. Um, uh, no, I, I love my, my collection of hats. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I like storytelling in, in all forms and I like conversation in all forms. And uh, writing novels in its own way is a conversation. You're having a relationship with a reader and they're actively participating in the creation of the story and the characters when they're reading it. And I love conversation on air and I love conversation with uh, lovely Irish radio DJs and I love um, conversation on podcasts. So I like I like being able to express myself and tell lots of stories in lots of different ways. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy that. And Anna was asking a question about the difference between, you know, writing a memoir, everything I knew, I knew, know about love and, and this book. Which did you find more exposing when it was published, the memoir or the novel? Which did you feel more, most vulnerable about people's reaction to? Oh, definitely the memoir. Definitely the memoir. The memoir, reading the memoir back now is like listening to myself leave myself a voicemail drunk at three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's how exposing it is. I'm like, oh dear, no, just hang up, just hang up. Um, yeah, it was very, very exposing, obviously, because it was just uh, linear autobiography. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, I chose to do it. No one asked me to do that. So, uh, and I really enjoyed the process, but it is, it does make you feel very vulnerable. And actually, I don't know if you find this with writing fiction, Graham, but there's something that's nice about being in a pretend world where you can stand in plain sight all of your thoughts and all of your opinions and all of the things you've ever wondered and all the people you've met and all everything you felt. It, it's always in a novel, but it's just, it feels more concealed in a safer way. Well, I feel kind of exposed creatively in a way that I feel like people will be reading it going, you thought this was good. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you wrote this and thought we'd want to read it. Yeah. Uh, I feel exposed in that kind of way. But don't you feel, having been on television for so long, don't you feel like once you've been a public-ish person, so with me, with my memoir, I, some of the criticism I had to read was this woman is an awful woman. So for me now, the <laughs> idea of someone saying this, this is an awful book, I'm like, oh, chill, fine, don't mind that. I don't mind you think I'm a bad writer as long as I'm not a horrible person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do develop a, th a thicker skin as time goes on. So, yes, that that, that is true. Um, you're a huge success with the podcast. Are you doing a new... Because obviously the high-low, done, no more, bye-bye. Yeah. But are you doing a new podcast that you want to alert the nation to? No, I'm not. I would love to at some point in the future, but at the moment I'm um, uh, pretty monogamous to writing. Very good. So uh, is novel number two on on the way? Yes, I'm writing the TV adaptation of my memoir at the moment, which um, starts shooting next month. And then I've got to write the film script of Ghosts and then I'm writing another book. So I'm going to be um, 
basically just sat in front of my laptop eating crisps for the next year. What are you doing here, you idiot? <laughs> <laughs> Go home. Start doing other things. That's, who's playing you? Who's playing you in the adaptation? Um, I don't think we're allowed to say yet. Um, but she's... Are you pleased? Are you pleased? Or are you kind of thinking, really? No, I'm <laughs> over the moon. I cannot believe it. And there's something so delicious and fun about doing a fictional adaptation of of your own life because it's basically everything that happened to me but everyone is so much fitter and so much funnier <laughs> it's great <laughs> we when with that what, who's making it uh bbc oh excellent so that'll be yeah. out what next year yeah next year yeah <gasps> we look forward to that uh, ghost by dolly alderton is out now in paperback thank you so much for coming in to join you uh, joining us it's been a pleasure thank you very much you know i am your very very biggest fan graham and if i could have someone doing a voiceover in my head at all times it would be you so thank shut you for up. having me shut <laughs> up go home start typing busy woman <laughs> take care bye 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 the graham norton radio show with waitrose you can taste when it's waitrose virgin radio time to meet my second guest of the day uh she's done loads of telly she's done lots of festivals and in 2016 her show in your face sold out seasons in london's west end and took her as far afield as new york uh, she should be joining us now with news of her new tour nina conti hello nina hello graham how are you doing <laughs> i'm very well how are you I'm good. I'm good. I don't have a monkey with me because it, you know, it suffers a little if you don't have the visuals. Yes, I, it's not. It's not all we'd <laughs> hope for on the radio. Uh, Nina, <laughs> tell me that because a lot of comics I talk to, they're starting a new tour, and it's a tour that was being delayed by COVID and blah 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 blah. You, it's been four years since you did the tour, so presumably, uh, you but know, I knew what I've been doing. I know. Really, has it been four? Uh, yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. I got to do one. And this yeah. was planned for before, before. This was about to go to Australia when COVID struck. So oh. it's like I'm picking up an old idea, but with a, with a new vibe because I put masks on people's faces. And now everyone's so used to that. Everybody's wearing masks, but I've got these talking masks. <laughs> it's quite COVID friendly. It is weird how the world, <laughs> the world stole your idea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. You must uh, have been like, so you must have been livid, kind of, but that this is my thing. I do this. Yeah. Don't put faces on your mask, just don't draw <laughs> mouths on them. Uh, uh, so tell us about the tour. It's called the dating show. And I mean, it sounds like that is actually what it is. Well, I mean, I think I won't make true love happen on stage. It's more likely I'm gonna force like some weird young guy with tattoos to have a date with a grandma. I have no idea. Whatever seems like the most uh, loving and funny, stupid thing to do at the time. So I think there'll be mismatched dates that don't work more often than like really good dates. I don't want that. I think that would be gross if I had people kind of going four <laughs> at each other. So I think it's going to just be people... Um, you know, matchmaking unlikely people. And tell me, if you if people haven't uh, seen this part of your act, uh, describe the mask. And did you develop these masks or did you find them somewhere and kind of go, I've got a use for them? These have been uh, old ventriloquist tools for quite a while. I mean, they used to be made out of paper. But, um, and I didn't want to use them because I thought, well, the other ventriloquists do it. But then when I started improvising, I thought, well, this is fine. It's not like anybody else's material. And I'm trying to really get in the skin of the person who's 
who's wearing the mask. So I should explain. It's like a jaw that straps on around their ears and I have a control that makes it open and close. So they look like a kind of cartoon human, but you can see their eyes like desperately <laughs> trying to communicate <laughs> from behind it. And I'm trying to say what I think that they're thinking. Like rather than go against it, I used to like say the most unlikely thing that they would be thinking, and I thought that was funny. But you burn a bit fast and bright with that. It's more interesting if you actually really try to imagine what they're thinking all the time, um, and that's uh, the, that just takes off from there into whatever nonsense. And so, um, if people if people are listening to this thinking, well, I've seen this. It sounds very very funny, uh, but I hate being picked on. Do people self-select or do you select them? I select people who look like they'll be all right, and I ask them if they're okay with it. Um, so I'm very, I'm not up for humiliating people because actually I think the audience turns as well with that. Everybody yeah. feels sick if you think somebody's unhappy. So I'm, um, yeah, and it's quite liberating in a way once they're up there because they are not themselves. And they, most of the time you're scared to go on stage because you don't know what you're going to say. Well, they don't have to worry about that because I'm going to talk. They're hidden, <laughs> you know. <laughs> All you're just your eyes, yeah. You know? <laughs> you're just some legs and eyes. You're fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, I agree with you because it is that the weird thing using audit because you don't want because everyone's paid their money, so you want everyone to have a nice time. You you don't want two people to sacrifice their evening for the good of the the theatre. No, I'd be really haunted. I think if somebody um, who had participated felt like I'd done them a disservice. I mean, I would cringe beyond cringe. I wouldn't sleep. So I'm really trying to be careful about that part of things and make sure everybody's happy. And recently, I've been asking people who wants to come. I used to pick people, but now I'm actually asking for volunteers. And I screen the overly keen out. Yes, so you don't, yeah, very it, 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 you're so right, Nina, because it is that weird thing, isn't it? You want someone who's up for it, but not too up for it. <laughs> No, and you want somebody who's lovable. The audience has to love them. Or, or if they're like really got a point to prove and they're doing so, the audience won't enjoy them. So it's like a, I don't know, it's a filter system for the nicest people. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm trying to intuit when I'm up there. Who's nice? Yeah. <laughs> Nina, uh, we, you know, we say, oh, send in questions if you want a question to the guest. Uh, normally there's a variety. Nearly all the questions coming through for you were the same. I'm going, how? <laughs> how did she do that? Why did you do that? So, because it, I, I was thinking, like, Shari Lewis is the only female ventriloquist I can think of. Uh, what well drew you, what drew it to you? What drew you to it as a, as a kid? What drew? Well, not as a kid, and in fact, as uh, you know, right through my twenties, I, I wasn't thinking anything about ventriloquism. Really? Yeah, I wasn't. And then it was suggested to me by a man called Ken Campbell, who was a director, who's kind of maverick guy, who yeah, like goaded you into doing weird things. And he said, "Do that." And then I, I thought, "God, no, that's awful. That's never funny, and it's only creepy, and I don't like those awful dolls, and it's so kind of." cheeky chappy end of the pier stuff no and, and then but he got quite cross and he bought me a teach yourself ventriloquism kit I thought well, I better give it a go and I made a video of myself trying and thought actually I'm not bad at this and then I got a, this little monkey that happened to be hanging around the house uh, worked out that his mouth did move he was just like a glove puppet that you'd put your like a sooty kind of thing but he yeah. did have a moving mouth so I started talking to him and then I thought wow He's saying things, you know, that I've always wanted to say. It does sound 
really like a little bit overly magical. But that is amazing. I always assumed. Yeah, I always assumed. You know, the like magic. <laughs> I always thought it was something you had to discover early before you knew you shouldn't do it. <laughs> um, um, so, how old were you when you when you discovered you could you were a tranquilist? How what sort of fin- yeah, twenty eight, I think I was. Wow! Um, so I came to it quite late, and I thought I'll just do this for the summer. Um, I had like five minutes of material and uh, yeah, I remember bumping into you at a comic relief. I had five minutes of material. It was like brand new. And then I thought, I'll just do it for a summer. And it, for 20 years have gone by or something. It's well, you insane. won you won the BBC New Comedy Award, didn't you? In, was it 2002? Yes. But I can't stop talking to this monkey. I mean, it's taken over my psyche and it seems smarter than me. I'm trying to write an autobiography and I can't write it. I have to ask monkey what he'd say. So, I mean, I've really warped my brain, you know. I've like got one overly used arm muscle kind of thing in my brain and it's his voice. It's really the stronger. It's but kind the, of the real me and the one yeah. that I play is the construct that fits in with society. But if you want to know what I'm really thinking, it's what Monkey says. But it's interesting because just developing the, the, the masks and doing the, the audience participation thing has kind of opened up the act so much. It's made you, you know, a, a much more kind of, I don't know, versatile per- performer in ways. I guess so, yeah. Well, it's more collaborative, certainly, and it's really nice to get other people on stage and just maximise the funny of what any human is, you know? Yeah. I mean, I find people so funny, um, but and, and especially when they don't really know what to expect. And obviously, you know, the, the joy of the live experience is great and you're on tour and no one, you know, uh, telly is no longer the be-all and end-all. But is there a slight little bit of Nina Conti's brain thinking, this would make a very good dating show on the television? <laughs> well, we'll see. I think it might, but I'm going to have to try it out live. And I find dating shows quite gross, really. So I've got to find one that works for me that's funny. I don't want to end up with some naked attraction type of thing. I'm just, it makes me so crazy. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. It will be a car crash because people are going to say awful things to each other once I put their masks on or they reveal, you know, crazy things about themselves. But well, I think please, gonna please host, please host one edition of Naked Attraction oh, where all God, they're wearing, where all they're wearing is the mask. Oh <laughs> yeah! Oh my God! That, that would really, be that, so good. That really, that would be very kind of kinky looking to everybody on leads. Oh, naked people <laughs> on leads with fake faces. Yeah, the wow. thing, yes, I, I dread to think what they'd say. Uh, but listen, congratulations on heading back out into the world uh, to do live shows. I'm so glad. And and also you're doing lovely theatres. You're not doing, you know, the proper, there's an intimacy to the, all the venues you're doing. I think so. They're all quite cosy, nice kind of old playhouses and things, yeah. Excellent. Like that. Uh, well, like, like I say, uh, tour details can be found at ninaconti.net. The show is called The Dating Show. And, uh, and Monkey will be there, right? Yes, he's hosting. Yeah. Oh. He's kind of, um, he's casting director of the thing. Okay. It's all his fault. I do. There's yeah. some, there is something kind of, you're quite, there is something weirdly psychological about it, isn't there? Yeah, it's very, it's just a way to try and live unaccountably. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, long may it continue. Thank you so much for joining us, Nina. Take care of yourself. Thanks, Graham. Cheers. All right. Bye. There's more. We have Thomas Schumacher chatting to us about the magical return of Disney musicals. But before that, Izzy Sooty explains the story of her gorgeous debut novel, Jane is Trying. Hello, Izzy. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I've had my porridge. I'm raring to go. Excellent. Yeah. Well done, you. Fully <laughs> fully fueled. What a yeah. sensible woman you are. Um, so, uh, a novel. Uh, was this always on the cards that you were going to write a novel? Was this the thing that you had... Was this on your kind of bucket list, I must write a novel, or did it kind of happen a bit accidentally? Slightly accidentally. I did always want to write a book, and then I wrote the first one, and then my life got more settled and I had two kids, and then I thought, no one really wants to read about happy things happening to people. Um, why don't I write a novel about um, a hard thing happening to someone? So, yeah, that's that's kind of how it happened. And then it was really good to have something to do in lockdown uh, in the house. Yeah. And Jane is trying, uh, because you are a mother, uh, I think the temptation is to read this book and kind of think, really, all of this happened to Izzy? But that's not, <laughs> that, that is not the case. This is not your story. No, it isn't. I mean... I have to say, I don't want my mum to read it because the mum in Jane is Trying is a little bit too similar. To the mum in it is quite um, quite full on, quite anxious, quite overprotective. And I was like, That really makes me want to meet your mother now. Yeah, well, I had lunch with her yesterday. I was like, you really don't have to read it, mum. <laughs> um, but no, it isn't It isn't me. I mean, a few, there are some similarities. Like Jane's quite anxious about her health. And that is like my, if I get stressed, that's the first thing. I'm like, oh, I'm doing too much. I'll like Google sip. I think Google can be a nightmare oh, can't the it? worst yeah yeah well, no, because uh, yeah because it because whatever you have it's going to kill you on google i know and at three in the morning when you're on your own it can feel very real oh no i mean it's it, you read the diagnosis and the one that results in death is absolutely the one you've got isn't it yeah <laughs> There's no, yeah the one kind of like the the don't worry about it diagnosis is not interesting <laughs> So true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so tell us about uh, Jane and her trying. Uh, what What do we need to know at the start of the book? Okay, uh, she is in London working in advertising uh, with a guy called Jonathan, uh, who she's engaged to, and they're trying for a baby. Um, she can be quite trying. She's quite childish, and it was really great to write quite a flawed character, actually. Um, then... She finds out that he's been cheating on her with someone called Rachel, which really annoys her because she thinks that um, Rachel's only exist in the 90s and in Friends. And she finds out there's this <laughs> Rachel has stolen her fiance. And then she, her parents kind of scoop her up and she moves back to this sleepy town in the Midlands, which is slightly similar to where I grew up. Um, and then, yeah, from there on in, loads of stuff happens to her and she's kind of plunged into difficult situations and has to learn to stand on her own two feet. And she is such a specific character. I mean, she's lot. There's lots of kind of uh, detail in her in her character. So there's the kind of the OCD details. Are yeah. we, I mean, are we saying OCD or are we just saying she's a bit? Well, she's like in denial that she's got OCD. But when uh, early on, people, a couple of people are like, "You've got OCD," and she's like, "No, I'm really messy. I haven't got OCD." And she's got this idea that um, you have to be tidy to have OCD, which isn't true um I don't think um uh, yeah like it is I really enjoyed that thing of being able to like hear her thoughts and be in her head I did try and write it in the third person initially and it just didn't feel right and I like that intimacy with the reader where she can be panicking about a symptom or something or how she left the door unlocked and yet she's like 
because she works in a bookshop, um, having only read Sharon Osbourne's autobiography um, and knowing nothing about books and really trying to blag it. So she's sort of blagging this interview with an author at the same time you you know that inside her head she's... And I think that's quite good because in real life, that's often how it is, isn't it? We're complex. We're not... People can often uh, seem really calm and collected and inside they're they're not. So um, it was really good to write, have that intimacy when I was writing it with the reader. And I read an interview with you where it was interesting because I, I just assume, you know, Jane is trying, uh, trying for baby, you think, oh, that's what it's about. But that wasn't what you started writing. That wasn't the, the initial idea. No, it wasn't. So initially, I always wanted her to go home and I always wanted her to work in a bookshop knowing nothing about books. Um, but initially her dad was going to be very ill and she was going to go home to be with her family and she was going to be pregnant. Sorry, she was going to have um, a toddler. And I started to write this this kid and it was so annoying the kid was and I'm even referring to the kid as it because I can't even think about this kid that I wrote and I've got a toddler um and so I thought I'll be able to write this and I just thought no this doesn't feel right sometimes you don't know why it doesn't feel right do you you just think I know I need to move on from this. So What's that um, thing? You kind of think, I don't want to read this, so yes. why, why would anyone else? That was my rule. I was like, <laughs> I would not open this book. I would throw it into the river. So, I, um, yeah, I absolutely... I tried to write a book that I would want to read. Now, tell me this. So, Jane Jane is trying is the debut novel is out now in Hardback. Fear of hospitals, is that a real thing, or did you make that up? I mean, obviously, no, nobody likes hospitals, but an actual fear... So I just wanted her to be in as precarious a position as possible as the kind of heroine of the book. I don't have the fear of hospitals, but it is a real thing. Oh, it is? Okay. It is. Well, I mean, it is in the sense that I researched it. And when I say researched, I meant go on mum's net. Um, but <laughs> I, 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 it is, absolutely. And there are, you know, there are people who have to go into hospital um, for a condition or because they're pregnant or, you know, for many reasons or to visit someone and they have this fear of hospitals. I mean, if you can have a fear of clowns, which you can, and there's a word for it, you can have a fear of hospitals. And I think it can be very serious for people. I mean, it's the worst, isn't it? I mean, like nobody wants to go to hospital, but, you know, there are times in our lives when we have to or need to, and then to have that on top of it must be hell. I know. I think for Jane, it's because she so wants control over everything. Um, it's like an extension of that. So it's like, will I be out of control in a hospital? If I go to a hospital, it means I could get something. And, um, yeah, no, absolutely. It must. Be, I, I've always quite liked them, even though, you know, I've lost relatives and I've been to visit them in hospital. And I, I, I don't know why it is. My mum was a nurse when I was growing up, so I spent a lot of time going to pick her up from hospitals. It was like, oh, we're going to get a burger now. She's been <laughs> connected with... <laughs> we should say the book is a funny book because all the things we're talking about, you could have written a very dark, serious book about all these things, but you yeah. didn't. I yeah, th- I... I yeah, I really, really wanted to find the humour in, I suppose, yeah, as you say, some of these quite serious things and her anxiety at, at points is, is, it's really hard for her. But I think that generally, um, a lot of the time you can find humour, I think, in the specific. So, And she is surrounded by this host of oddballs who are trying to do their best to help her and kind of mucking things up even more. And that was really fun to write as well. So although she's going through some quite serious stuff, I think... There, um, yeah, that there are. There's light relief. Uh, Helen has just been in touch, uh, wanting to know: Are you going to be focusing your writing more on books in the future? Or are you going to back writing for TV, or are you closing your laptop and emerging, blinking into the light as a performer? <laughs> well, I actually think I might write a new 
stand-up show. It's slightly known what's going to happen with COVID, isn't it? Um, I do feel like I want to... I took a bit of a break from stand-up and I do really, really miss it. So I, I did like three gigs again after a break from having my second kid and then COVID happened. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Forget it. Yeah. Um, I do want to write another book, though. I really do want to write another novel, um, much more than stuff about myself. So I think I will probably write a young adult book at some point. But I'm going to go to South End first and eat loads of ice cream. Excellent. Well, look, enjoy that. Jane is Trying is the debut novel. Congratulations on that. It's out now in Harbuck. Izzy Sudi, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Time to say hello, though, to Thomas Schumacher. Hello, Thomas. How are you? Oh, good morning. How are you today? I'm great. Well, I'm all right. I just feel for you because, you know, normally I talk to you and you've got our show opening. You are now show opening every show <laughs> everywhere at the same time. It must be just insane. Yes, yeah, so, so you, could, you could call this bad planning on my part because <laughs> um, it's also all over the globe. So I've already been in Australia. Um, to get frozen on its feet there. I, I actually yesterday finished my fifth different version of a quarantine somewhere in the world. I mean, well, I suppose the good thing about quarantine is you get a lot of work done. You can be emailing and on calls and Zooms and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I keep trying oh, to no. tell myself. <laughs> you know what's great about quarantine is it's, um, I think the best part of it is it helps people understand the framework of protocols and how important it is to be careful for yourself and be careful for others. And, and that reminder is so key to us right now. But Getting these done all over the world is an extraordinary team effort. We have, I think, 81 different Disney theatrical staff members somewhere around the globe outside of New York today. And so many productions. Let's start with Frozen. That's the biggie. It's op- it's it is it's not just opening, but it is also reopening the Theatre Royal Drury Lane after all the work that's been going on in that. Oh it- my gosh, have you you haven't you haven't been in it yet? I haven't. I got invited, but I was away, so yeah. I wasn't able to go in. It sounds stunning. Now, what Andrew Lloyd Webber has done inside, you know, it's it's one of your most important theatres, and it's it's a glorious space. Um, I think sh- historically shut down by two plagues in the past, and what um, what Andrew has has done um, is to make it more intimate, it's more beautiful, and it's a fantastic space in which to see Frozen. Frozen fits in it perfectly, and we've added three giant new elements that would only fit in the Drury Lane to the show. Oh, because I was going to ask you about that, that, you know, because Disney, you know, because it's a brand and everything, I thought that once Frozen was on Broadway, that was it. The show was fixed. But no, it changes. Well, you know, on Broadway, we actually use the term Frozen to mean the show is now frozen, <laughs> meaning it's locked. In fact, um, Ethel Merman used to freeze a show and she'd say, call me Mrs. Birdseye, this show is frozen. And uh, <laughs> But ironically, Frozen isn't frozen. So the version that will be done here has three giant physical elements that Christopher Orr who designed it, created. Um, Bobby Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez have written an entirely new song for Anna and Elsa to sing in Act Two. Jennifer Lee has adjusted um, parts of the book. So, no, it's actually going to be a different experience than opening night in New York. Oh, wow. And uh, Samantha Barks and uh, Stephanie McEwen, they were in with Chris Evans on The Breakfast Show at Sky uh, here on Virgin. Um, so they're in it. And presumably, is, is Olaf the same? Olaf is kind of a... a I mean, a puppet seems a a, a, a poor word to use. Well, but uh, yeah, Craig Gallivan, who plays it, um, uh, plays Olaf. You see as much of him as you do, actually, of the Olaf puppet. But then Olaf also appears as a toy and other stuff in, in the show. 
Um, no, it's really, really, it's it's a glorious cast. You know, Samantha and Stephanie are fantastic and so perfect for it. Um, Obiamo Gallo, who, who plays Kristoff, um, the ice guy, he's, you know, he is, he's glorious on stage. And of course, we have to have our obligatory baddie, that's um, Oliver Ormson, and he's, um, he's plays Hans, who, for some reason, it's not a spoiler, for God's sakes, the movie was huge. <laughs> and yet, every night, wherever I've seen the show, anywhere in the world, every night when he reveals himself, you hear this gasp in the audience. <laughs> and I'm thinking, did you really not know that was coming? <laughs> Now, Thomas, we've uh, talked about Frozen and the big opening there on the 8th of September at the Theatre Royal Drury Lane. Are all the other Disney uh, productions in London reopening or are you taking this opportunity to kind of clear house a bit? (laughs) No, actually, I think next up is Lion King this coming Thursday. That's a reopening. And then after that, we'll get Mary Poppins with my my pal and partner Cameron McIntosh. And that opens up in August. So, you know, we're getting each one up. And then we have some new stuff coming too, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast, an all-new reimagining of the stage version of Beauty and the Beast opens in Bristol, um, just right after Frozen opens here in London, um, and and which I was in I was in Bristol yesterday, and that's a tour, so it goes to Bristol and then Liverpool and then Edinburgh and then Cardiff. Um, it's uh, it's really been fun to reexamine that. You don't think you're going to be doing that all at the same time. You're, you know, you would have thought, as you said at the top, <laughs> that I would have been smart enough to space them out. But we have a lot of people. There's over a thousand people we're trying to get back to work just here in London, um, yeah. in the UK, working on these shows, you know. And Bedknobs and Broomsticks, that's, oh, is that happening? So great. The fantastic producer, Michael Harrison, is in charge. We licensed it to him. It's being written by friends of mine from America, two Canadian guys that I've worked with and loved for a long time, Brian Hill and Neil Bartram. And then it's, but it's so cleverly done. Jamie Harrison and Candace Edmonds have imagined this sort of magic box in which the show happens. And that, that actually premieres um, next month in Newcastle. And I'll be at a run-through of that in the studio on Wednesday. Because, I mean, people love that film. Oh, I think particularly in Britain. Yeah. Is, is it more loved in Britain than it is in America? Because we adore well, it. I, I, you know, my dear, dear friends, the Sherman Brothers, who did the original score, which Brian and Neil have expanded the story and everything and, and built on. But there are songs, Age of Not Believing... Um, beautiful briny, all those songs that you all grew up with and know are are there, and it's a beautiful telling of it, and I think it's really powerful. I do think it's more known here, um, but I have very high hopes for the show, and I will tell you, just even the last draft I read before rehearsal started, you know, I teared up. It's such a beautiful story. So, when you think about Lion King reopening, Bed Knobs brand new, Frozen being launched here in an all new version, Beauty and the Beast, and Poppins, it's a lot to be happening in the UK all at once. It is, and of course we haven't even touched on Broadway because is it slightly more staggered on Broadway? Things are opening. Yeah, things are. We're slowly getting back up. A few things have started. Um, the the big night I think that in my head is September fourteenth because on that night, Hamilton, Wicked, and Lion King, and we've all joined together to coordinate to open on the same night because we we'll, you know get more attention for the fact that people can come back to Broadway. Yeah. And then those theaters just start to fill up very rapidly right after that. So Broadway Broadway really. I think, kicks off in early September. 
And tell me this, Thomas, you know, obviously you're a creative and you love creating these shows. Do people bring you original musicals ever and say, oh, can you help us with this? Or are you very tied to just, ad- not just, <laughs> to just, all you do. Uh, <laughs> all I do, darling. All you do is convert these films into music. But are you, is there a bit of you that would love to get you, your hands on a totally original project? Right. Well, I, I do think that musicals tend to lean into existing material, whether yeah. it's a film, a book, a, you know, novel, a play, whatever. But, you know, we did we did Aida with Elton John and Tim Rice, as you may remember. And, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. actually our second most Tony Awarded show on Broadway. And we're reviving that right now. Um, it, That's and, a gorgeous score. It, the score is fantastic. And this brilliant woman, Shelley Williams, who was in the original production, is now going to be directing this revival. And we're going back into the material and reworking and, and tweaking and adjusting script and staging and all sorts of stuff. Um, it, it, it's designed by Bob Crowley, who you and I both know and yeah. love here in, yeah. in the UK. But um, So that's a, that was a, an original piece for us. And there's one big original one that we're working on right now that is not based on a on a Disney musical property that we will make a musical out of but I can't announce it yet because I can't announce it yet but oh, it's, give us a hint give us a hint is it based on a is it based on a book a, a, it is based on a book um okay. and it's it's um about a, a book about extraordinary women um and oh are some of the women small <laughs> no, they're not. They're not. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no. But I, I'm teasing okay. you. But I just love this property so much, and I just, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm like two weeks away from. But I'll, I'll shoot you an email and let you know. Oh, please do. I really, really want to know. Let's just remind everybody for all of these productions that you've mentioned, uh, you can get tickets at Disney Tickets, all one word, DisneyTickets.co.uk. Uh, Thomas Schumacher. Uh, I mean, I would say go lie down in a dark room with a wet rag on your head, but you're too busy. You can't. You know, so. I could be doing that right now and you're not even aware of it. That's the thing. <laughs> All right, sir. Take care of yourself. Thank you very much for coming in to talk to us. Great it's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast with the Waitrose. I'm off on my summer halls, so Stephen Mulhern will be filling in for me until my return. Chat soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. 